Rob Hirschfeld, CEO co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about continuous delivery. And we really went beyond the fluff of what the Continuous Delivery Foundation is doing, although it's certainly not fluffy, uh, to talk about how to scale continuous delivery. Uh, thinking about something that Kloss was calling the continuous reconciler pattern. So what does it take beyond committing something into Git to make scalable continuous delivery systems and cross-team continuous delivery systems? These are really the places where we're building things beyond GitOps that really scale and work for enterprise teams for real use cases where it's not just cloud uh, native new technologies, but really established enterprise tech too, and making all that work together. I know you will enjoy this conversation. I was just looking at, there's a new continuous delivery uh, foundation uh, set up under the Linux Foundation, and they have a see a call for paper out. Uh, so th there's a really serious investment going on, at least around Linux and I guess Kubernetes, for continuous delivery. Yes. I mean, I, just in general, like uh, like cloud native uh, workloads. So you think, does it does this feel like a cloud native workloads thing to you, or is this a more general? Continuous delivery question. No, it's cloud native. I, I think cloud native is, is driving is the, the driving force behind it. They're 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 inclusive, and in that if you are looking to do continuous delivery for non cloud native workloads, uh, you you can use the same ideas and concepts. But uh, at least from what I'm seeing, is that the tooling is. Um, Cloud name is first, and that's because that that's where the, the you have the biggest impact in continuous delivery. So it, it makes sense. I, it, I mean, I guess when I hear cloud native now, especially with the Linux Foundation, I'm, you know, I translate that directly into Kubernetes. Uh, is are we talking broader than that, or is just that's where all the that's that's what people are saying? Um, I, I would classify Kubernetes as one example of cloud native, uh, but things like lambdas and cloud functions, uh, those are also cloud native. And, and okay. uh, the, the principles for artifact delivery uh, and, and reconciliation are, in my opinion, the same. It, it's just you might have a slightly different uh, implementation. You were the first person I've heard, I like the phrase, the artifact delivery and the re reconciliation. Like I've heard the, reconcil the reconciler pattern, artifact delivery. Um, I think that that is the, the most neutral description of this that I've heard, which I like. Well, yeah, so... I mean, and this is because I, I'm a big proponent of, of, of GitOps approach. And every every time I, I've, I've had a discussion about GitOps and like where it fits in, into the CI/CD cycle, um, mm -hmm. I've always argued that it sits outside of that. That 
CICD, in my opinion, should stop at the point where you produce an artifact. And then, uh, and, and, and that's where, where delivery ends. Like you deliver an artifact to make it available. And after that, like, oh, environment yes. management should be something else. I like to call it CR, continuous reconciliation. Uh, but um, it, yeah, I, 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 I feel like it should be treated in a decoupled fashion. So uh, CR, not everyone CD, agrees. CR. Um, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> I, 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 I think that because you're right, we're we're very much working in the um, infrastructure pipeline phase, and so more on the the continuous reconciliation, or actually implementing what you need to have going to do the reconciliation pattern, and. It does strike me as, as sort of frustrating, right? The CI/CD taking it all the way into production is not. There's so much more that would go into from the delivery of the artifact into production, and we're sort of just glomming it all together and saying there be magic, mm-hmm. which I don't think is helpful for the way we talk about the problem. So it's always dependent on who's who's talking. One of the things I've realized more and more in the industry is, especially in the, the cloud native Kubernetes space, you're having a lot more of the, the small startups doing the talking <laughs> and their, their problem set is totally different than a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, par- particularly when, when, when it comes to uh, uh, publishing theoretical best practices or i really shouldn't say best practices recommended practices um the it's they they work up to a certain scale and and then and then you 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 start uh running into cases where uh like the recommended approach just isn't good enough like it, it doesn't mean that that the recommended approach shouldn't be aimed for in the, in the first place uh but yeah. the again like things like uh like um like configuration management um there there's there's several articles right now on several people arguing that um like you, sh- you shouldn't do a branch per environment for for gitups uh, which in itself is that I, yeah. oh you, okay. I I agree that you should try to avoid it, but there are certainly cases where you need to have it because um, otherwise you cannot uh, uh, kind of provide the, the the full flexibility of configuration that you would have otherwise. Oh my! You just, yeah. I, I just what you just said. Literally, I'm having this this fear reaction to branches like like if i had different clusters being deployed off different branches of of the same repo the 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 git management and the visibility of those it's it's so bad and the the the, they're going to diverge which is bad and then the other thing that that we see a lot of is that the the differences between clusters you want to isolate what those are and identify them and and put them somewhere so that they're visible. And then all the commonalities need to be stored in a common place. But as soon as you're on a branch, you've got to, you, you don't get that, that sort of like, Oh, here's all the reusable bits and here's my unique bits. You're literally 
forked at that point. It seems like an antimatter. And that might be where Git doesn't do as good a job as some of the older configuration management systems with the older ones. Everything was oh. trunk except for the few bits you branched. Well, it, it's it's actually... I, I, I personally feel that, that the problem is not so much with the ability to branch itself, but uh, with people struggling to define what a branch should represent. Your branch oh, okay. should not represent a different cluster. That, that is absolutely wrong. Correct. Um, but, uh, for example, with, with, <laughs> with, with current GitOps tools, um, you, you can, for example, with, with Helm charts, you, you, you can, on, on Argo CD, you can have a chart of YAML that, that says, okay, I have these dependencies, and then you, you can have various like uh, values files for, for different uh, for different clusters or, 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 or different types of deployments. But you still have only one chart of, of chart of YAML, which means you can only represent one version of your application. So if if you need to do if you need to support multiple uh, releases of an application, like multiple versions or or release channels, actually, so it's a better place to way to describe it. Then uh, you have either completely separate application descriptions. Like, yeah, I have one application which is my uh, like stable release channel, and one application which is my uh, uh, like my uh, my beta release channel or something like that. Or you you have branches. But neither of those, I mean, the, the, all, both of those things ignore composability, right? It's, when, when we're doing infrastructure work, we're composing things. We actually do more like what Chef used to do, where you've got like, here's a global setting and here's a regional setting and here's a profile setting and here's a machine setting and dependent, you know, so you actually compose the information you need out of unique stuff and layered, you know, you actually pull things through a layered infrastructure because otherwise you're, you're get, it does an amazing job of hiding things. What you're describing to me, it means hidden, all sorts of hidden configuration information. And you have to know what branch to look at, like putting something on a get branch is the way to hide, <laughs> hide things, not expose them. <sighs> So I think the problem becomes, and I've, I've thought about it quite a lot because I've, I've worked at a similar space, yeah. is the, the visibility to be able to visualize. So the problem I've seen is the human mind can't wrap their heads around all of the different moving parts. Now, granted, having a, a visual representation doesn't necessarily always make it a whole lot easier. I think that moves us in a closer direction to be able to understand all of the different various components that map together. Is that argue? I mean, we're gonna we're getting closer and closer to well, I think we're already at the point where systems do just too unwieldy. Like you look at the, the was it the the, yeah. the infamous Netflix microservice uh diagram. And, that one, yeah. Oh, the, the Death Star. Yeah, you can't mm -hmm. you can't make heads or tails of it. And we're at the point where there's just 
too much going on in IT environments for the human mind to just readily grasp. Or certainly readily grasped at both the detail level and the uh, system level at the same time. Well, I mean, we talk a lot about the complexity of a coupled system, like what the the microservice deployment that you're describing looks like. Um, to me, that's 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 a component. There's also a, a pipelining component of chaining all the pieces that you need to do for a deployment to work together, which is hopefully a little more linear and easier to understand. It is if you're talking about a single branch, but when you talk about potentially multiple branches and then multiple environments, oh, that's where we start put, to, to layer it on. Well, this is why I wouldn't call when I look at that, that's a, that's a, it's almost, it's a, it's a buildup, right? If you're talking about a branch, you might be talking about the configuration file that drives that cluster build. But what about all of the, the infrastructure's code, the automation that actually builds it from that one configuration file? Cause that's also, that's a component, right? You, you, you could switch to another branch, give your, give it a new input, but if you're not actually triggering you know, if you're not sure what you're triggering and all the work that goes downstream from that, um, you're 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 in a that's a another scale boundary here. Well, that's the the, the visualization aspect for me, because even even with mm. that, let's say that single branch, there's always the the outlying, whether it's infrastructure or outlying software components that where we've we've made assumptions about. The example oftentimes would be things like Active Directory or NTP or some of those supporting services where we have a, a strong assumption of what those are going to be, but actually don't have the context within what we're actively deploying. And context is a key is a key question with this, right? It's not just what you're triggering. It's the pipeline that you're running as behind that right the GitOps stuff that i've seen with kubernetes is it's like it's you're basically running a helm chart or you know kubernetes yaml which is great because kubernetes is pretty flat from that perspective it's not anything more complex at the you know at the moment well i mean the the complexity is, is hidden it's hidden to the GitOps tool and that, that, like your, your your Kubernetes resources that you deploy can be plenty of comp, uh, can be plenty complex. Like there's nothing preventing you from deploying a whole operator with with your GitOps tool. Um, that the challenge becomes more hmm. once you start doing reconciliation. Like for example, operators like to modify resources, so it, you, you need to make sure that your GitOps reconciliation loop does not conflict with your operator reconciliation loop. <laughs> which, which is you went, something you went, that no, you, you, you went where I was going to go, which is yeah. where if you've got a, a, a sequence of, op, of, of that requires you to have operators that then trigger other operators that then, right, you got this cascade then yep. the, the version of those operators and the inter interactions between all those operators are also reconciler version control things. Because if you build a new cluster or you're testing automation in the change and it's using old reconcilers, um, 
you've you know that's not going to that's that's a problem also. Yeah. Um, uh, to, well, to be fair, Argo CD has, has this problem addressed. They like they, okay. they, they let you ignore certain changes. So something that that I saw in recent past is that you've got this reconciler that that lets you do the changes and whatnot, and uh, you have to deal with the fact that new versions are being dropped out on the internet at all the time all the time but you've got the reconciler but you don't have anything that can rec reconcile against cves plus these mm -hmm. various versions these newest versions out there so how do you reckon how do you build know when to build cves and what to build with how to reconcile the build against the CVE and come out with what you need. Uh, so you've got multiple streams that are feeding uh, requirements into the reconciler. And some of the streams are not controlled, such as CVEs. They're random. Are, are you talking about holding back versions or about ensuring that uh, uh, deployed application is, is at the most recent version once the CVE com comes out and is patched. So if, especially with the SBOM world and everything, you need to know what goes into everything. But because things are changing so fast out there, a lot of times you don't sit there and rebuild as soon as a new version drops. You have, you make decisions as to whether you're going to include a version, like you said, whether it gets included or not, or whether you're going to rebuild and redeploy continuous delivery or close to it. It's like, what's what's the reality of your continuous delivery? Do you rebuild and redeploy every time a new version drops on like PyPy? It's like, no, because you need to test it or no, because you've got a stable build and you've got you don't have the luxury of stopping and rolling a new version out. And like with Rob, it's like you want this non-volatile in some ways structured to be able to uh, know what you're putting out there. Yeah. And then you've got this random stream of CVEs coming in that affect possibly one version of what you're building uh, one of your dependencies, but not other dependencies, but those other dependencies have been changed by new check-ins. <laughs> right. And it just gets... This, this is, this is one of the reasons why I like to make the distinction between CICD and CR. Yes, exactly. Because the, like the, the problem that you described, like, like ensure, like, Keeping your, your your software bill of material and maintaining CVE patches, that's on the then on the left wow. side of the of that divide on on the CI/CD part. Yes, right. it, it doesn't make the problem go away, but but it it means that on the CR side you don't need to worry about it. You just need to worry about what you have available. What artifacts you're you're giving yourself? Hmm. So in some ways, CVEs are almost like 
fault injection into a working system. Yeah, yes, there. I mean, as far as CI/CD goes, or or, or like just like CI/CD/CR, um, you can think of CBEs as being the, the analogous to the bit rot. It, it it's you, you had a stable system and something happened and now it's not ideal anymore. So um, and and just just like we 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 address bit rot and storage and, and, and memory with error correction, we we need that error correction in continuous delivery as well. This, and it needs to be addressed on, on both sides of the CI/CD/CR divide. So I'm going to throw a wrinkle in. <laughs> How do we make it more collaborative so that it's not, you don't have to own hundred percent of that CD cycle. Cause that's the other place where we were talking, we started with this, with the enterprise story, part of the enterprise story that's different than the startups is you actually have distributed responsibility. You have different teams doing this work. Mm -hmm. Um, um yeah what you're what you're describing to me is part of this okay wait a second somebody else you know another team shows up or the security team shows up or the you know infrastructure platform team shows up and they need to help or they want to help or they need to understand what's going on yeah um on the one hand side um need to reevaluate um uh, local proxies for repositories. Again, like it, hmm. it is it it in in an enterprise setting, it is necessary, uh, almost certainly, to have your own mirrors. Oh yeah, like, you, you, you <laughs> need to hasn't be, taught us that. Then nothing yeah. has. That's right. You, you need to be able to rehost the artifacts that you that are critical to you. Yeah, we we actually just found out the even the Rocky team pulled down the ISOs for the last two releases, so those are gone. Yeah, um, uh, previous two. Yeah. And coupled with that, you need attestation. You, you need you need signatures. Okay. Um, you need to you need to be able to say these images or, or these artifacts are good to go, and you need to be able to revoke those as well. Um, which is something that's very frequently forgotten. <laughs> um, I mean, like, if you work in PKI, PKI, that it's that is something common, but but it, it just hasn't been hasn't caught up uh, as a common common use in, in, in other environments yet. Uh, even though many do have the capability for that, um, you need to be able to say to to say. The latest version is not the latest anymore, and you need to, and, and you can, and you have to roll back to the previous one. Uh, like like the like this issue with like the the, the, the what was the the um, this package colors library? Yes, that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. So so that means that the 
the immutability or the, the assumed immutability of artifacts need to be re, uh, reconsidered because it's not just the, the artifact anymore. Hmm. It's the artifact plus metadata. The artifact itself can stay immutable, immutable because it, it, it needs to have a certain signature. But the metadata around it, that needs to be immutable. And it needs to be, again, it needs to have attestation. It needs to have trust. Um, a lot of concepts that we've discussed before in 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 in, in, in other contexts, but but uh, ultimately, yeah, it, it's 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 a gray area, and it's it, it's it it's would, a, it's something that's not uh, not always consistent. It would be really nice to be able to catalog what what metadata is both required and. Uh, mutable and you know just knowing what what you have to have plus what you might need depending upon other aspects and what is likely to change in the frequency of change versus what doesn't change because yes the the object mm. itself is immutable but the metadata what parts of the metadata, if there are any parts, are immutable? What parts are mutable, and how frequently might those change? And what are required, and what are um, add-ons that are just uh, informational that doesn't really affect operations, but might be there for a human human readability or whatever. Which makes perfect sense to me. The from there, though, does that mean, you know, in a continuous deployment perspective that we are redeploying all this stuff? Like when it comes back to con the continuous delivery, does that imply that we, we need to be rolling these over and over and over again? So um, maybe, and here's where Klaus can, can say yes or no, maybe the metadata is... The reconciliation data, where huh? it changes and you reconcile it, but the object stays the same, and it it can be reconciled until the object has to be changed. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it it boils down to to state management. Like, you, like with, with GitOps, you have your the, you have your current state of your system, and the desired state of of what you want the system to be, uh, and and you have some flexibility there. Like if you want to say, okay, I I want the, the latest version of this versus uh, like the the latest patch of the, of this versus like a fixed version, um, but that is rather rudimentary, and we we should be able to expand that more to to say, okay, I want the latest version signed by these authorities as opposed to the, the latest general version. Or um, I want the, the latest version that, uh, that has a particular feature or, or, or something like that. But, but, yeah. but hold, hold on. Part of the purpose of the continuous delivery mantra is, is it, 
that we are constantly updating the systems that we're using, or is it that we've stored it in Git so we have a a non you know a more reconciler pattern? Yes. <laughs> so so the what you're storing in, in Git is your desired state. Like it, it, but, that's but that's what you say declaratively. I want this. But if I stop changing it, if I right, because this is the other thing, right? If 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 I've got code that's actively changing, it's going to be constantly pumping through that system. And you know, my reconciler might not change the cluster size, but it might change the artifacts that I pull into that cluster, right? Back to your your CD. Um, you're, you're actually not reconciling the cluster except the 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 dev contents. But if I have a stable system and it's just sitting there and there's nothing to reconcile because nothing's changed, is is that accomplishing our objectives? I Um, certainly would love a system like that where it's like you don't have to change anything for a while. Man, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Well, Uh, you you still accomplish something with with, with the reconciler because even though your system might be stable uh, with regards to versions, you still have hardware failures. You still have IP changes and things like that. And, and that's what the reconciler gives you. It, it, it means that when something, when something fails or, or, or when, when something changes, you don't, you don't need manual intervention to do it. The, the reconciler will do it for you. The only time you need to in, intervene is when the reconciler cannot fix it for you, which would be an exception and not a rule. But what you're suggesting, and and this isn't how I normally hear it talked about. So um, this is to me, we're getting someplace important. Is that it's not just you're reconciling against the state in the Git file when it changes, but what you're actually doing is saying if the environment behind this changes, I I will I will reconcile back to that. So if somebody's patching an OS or where we we come out with a new rev, you know, uh, we go from one version of uh, uh, Linux to another, that rollout also that should we should be able to change have that orthogonal change, and then the reconciler pattern is going to kick in and say, okay, I now need to go reconform this system because mm-hmm. that. Right, I, I see that happening all the time. You don't want that one delivery pipeline to be static. You actually want to be able to say, oh, the environment I'm deploying into can also be changing and I'm going to keep reconciling there. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what I say. Like you, you, the, the reconciliation is between the current state and the desired state. And the, the environment that, where, where your workload is deployed to is part of the current state. This is where the continuous delivery is very unidirectional in most conversations I've heard. Not, not basically talking about sustaining. I mean, I guess this is the way Kubernetes operates within uh, clusters. If the cluster changes out from under it, it rebuilds the desired state for the cluster. I, I mean, it, it, it makes sense for it to be unidirectional. It, like, it, compared to like a uh, uh, like I don't know, like an organizational hierarchy. Like if if your organizational rule says that uh, know, team A must uh, uh, must check in with uh, team B 
before they, they make a change. Sure. And, and, and they go ahead and make a change anyway, then that change needs to be reverted back to, to the original one until it's approved. So in in in, the, in that in in this case, your your CMDB is your um, is, is your GitOps repository, like your desired state, uh, and the reconciliation happens to be done by humans. But what what the GitOps argues is that there is no reason why it needs to be done by humans. You can delegate it to to a machine to, to do it for you. It really, it really can't be done by humans. Ultimately, at, at the current scale, it cannot be done anymore. No. Yeah, that that to me is the the interesting part of of this. But I, I don't think we're having the like when we talk about enterprise continuous delivery. It's those those other interactions that I think are not. We're not. We're not not looking at it from that perspective. It's like, Hey, team A is delivering their stuff. Great. You know, and then you need, you know, you need to be aware, you know, team A owns it, but in an enterprise circumstance, the team A is only delivering into an environment. There's other teams own all sorts of stuff around that environment that are also on their own, uh, should be on their own continuous delivery processes. Ideally, right. Because that's the way I would yeah. see it is is that there should be a team that's like, oh, we're you know, the base OS for this infrastructure is also on a continuous delivery pipeline, and we're going to keep patching it and fixing it and things like that. And we need to have a reconciler. You know, if we, you know, I, I don't want to have to notify everybody that we patched you know, something. It should just go through, and then if it busts things, then let's you know let's figure that out. Let's have you know, ideally. You have a way to test. You're like, oh, we're going to run this through the test clusters and your reconciler pattern is going to run your stuff against the test cluster and it's going to blow up outside of production. Yay, everybody's informed. Well, the whole the whole thing with enterprises and, and the whole thing with containers and clusters and stuff is that each of those different teams can have a different base OS. And they don't have to communicate with the other team. It allows for a hell of a lot of siloing. Yeah, it 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 decouples uh, that, that. Exactly. It yeah. it makes it so that that you don't have to. Everybody doesn't have to keep track of a base OS. They just keep yeah. track of what their team is doing. Yeah, but but uh, ultimately, uh, Rob, you're not the only one thinking thinking along those lines. Like there's. Um, I've written plenty of arguments about uh, continuous delivery and um, I mean, GitOps is, is very opinionated. Uh, I, I, will, I will admit to that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, Kubernetes itself is very opinionated as well. And GitOps falls well in line with, with, with being similarly opinionated. So that, that works well for, for Kubernetes maintainers like myself. Um, but ultimately, what this also means is that if your process for continuous delivery does does not jive well with with the opinionated process of GitOps, you're going to have a bad time. Um, I like to argue that 
this forces the teams to adopt the opinionated process for better or for worse. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, it is for the better um, for, for various reasons. Uh, but the, there's, there's definitely contention about, okay, what do you do when you ha- already have an, uh, uh, an organizational setup that is not continuous delivery friendly and you want to adopt continuous delivery? The, the, the journey can be right. difficult. Well, and probably even more difficult if you want it and you're relying on a team that that doesn't doesn't get it. Yeah, I get, and, and in many cases, the, 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 the barriers towards adoption are psychological. And, and this is actually something that um, that was mentioned in uh, in the talk that 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 spawned today's topic. Uh, yeah. it, like in in the link, if you go around the, the like the, the half hour mark, they, they, they talk about this. That adoption of a continuous delivery process is is the the first and foremost barrier, uh, and and it it's largely because people are afraid. Like they mm-hmm. they they're afraid of automation, not not because of, of a job, like that they, they think that they, they'll automate itself out of a job. It's just because you have to give up control, and and that is very hard. Um, so. What needs to be done initially is establish the trust between the the people who make decisions and the automated process. Once once the automated process is trusted enough, people are much much happier to to, to let go. Uh, but it's hmm. that first step that's an incredibly high hurdle. Wow, this is a really thoughtful conversation about the changes that we're making to fundamental software delivery process, something we talk about a lot and is really being framed in an interesting way around reconciler patterns and automation and building trustworthy systems. And we are going to keep coming back to those topics in future episodes, and I know you want to be part of it. So please join us at the 23.cloud and have your voice as part of these discussions. We want to hear from you too. And thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.